Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel of newbies. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. panel. Uh, joining us today, it's David. He's a sentient being. Can we even put him into that? Greg. Hey, hey. Axel. Hello. And Siobhan. Hey, everybody. Uh, got a, a, a little bit of a smaller crew than usual today, but that's all right. Uh, today we are going to go right into discussing more of our side characters, getting into their their motivations, their characters, what's behind them, what what we might see from them in the future. And today we're going to focus on our Shinarans, uh, the, the people from Faldara Keep. Um, so we're going to start out with uh, Lord Egelmar. Uh, we've got, uh, he's played by Thomas Channing. Uh, who is a uh, Danish actor known for Danish TV as well as uh, the sh the shows White Dragon and uh, Marco Polo on Netflix. Marco Polo, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and he is playing Lord Egomar Jagad, who is the Lord of Faldara Keep. Is a brother to Amalisa and the nephew of King Asar of Shinar. So definitely in the royal lineage. Um, his description from the book is he has a hard face with lines only at the corner of his eyes, which are like brown stone. He wears a top knot of pure white. His banner consists of three running red foxes on a field quartered blue and white. So what do we think? Does, does, does uh, Thomas Channing fit the description there? I think so. I think that, but I, I think that, uh, the uh, the cloak that he was described as wearing was better done in the series. That thing <laughs> was awesome. So so, DW wants uh, Tom's jacket, and you want Eggomars. Is that yes? Okay. Yes. Right. Yes, I do. I got a bird thing. What can I say? <laughs> Move to Portland. Caring for feathers might be a little tricky. Feathers, awesome. Yeah, I think the casting might have been slightly younger than the age of the character in the book because his hair was not white, but he still, I think, had the the gravitas and the the eyes. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm I'm with you entirely on that. Mm -hmm. um, He's younger than us. The hard face too, <laughs> with the, <laughs> the sharp lines was there. Yeah. And uh, what do we think of Lord Agamar when we, when we first meet him? Arrogant. Very, yes. Uh, do we think it's an earned arrogance? Oh, no. no. I, I don't know. I might argue that part. I mean, the man's been um, running a kingdom right at the edge of the blight, and, and he's not inexperienced at that. So I think it is an arrogance... Um, that is at least partially earned because he's been defending that keep for a long time. He just he just thinks that because he's been defending the keep for a long time, he knows everything there is to know about attacks from the blight and everything else. He, he he's he's he seems to have an attitude of uh, I'm right. Who are you to to tell me anything in my kingdom? You know. Yeah, David. We also see that he's um, the kind of leader that will go to the head of the fighting and and actually lead the troops into battle. So, given 
what we know about the blight and how often they have to defend it. I'm guessing he's won his fair amount of battles and probably has that earned respect and earned gravitas. Yeah. Considering he's still around. He's probably spent his fair share of time going into the blight on his own. Also given the history of the young people in, in that area going into the blight to prove themselves. Yeah. The, 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 High school Shinarans daring each other to go spend a night in the blight kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Bet you can't do it, but you can, yeah. Yeah, I, I can see the royals doing that as well, especially a nephew of the king as opposed to a son of the king. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to let you in on on uh, a little bit about Agomar from the books. Um, in the books, there are a number of known military leaders who are called the Great Captains. Um, and these are military leaders who are known for their prowess in battle, who rarely lose, and who most other people do not want to face on the battlefield. And uh, Lord Egelmarge God is one of those great captains. So I think you all clued right into that, and, and that's definitely where his, his uh, arrogance, as you put it, I think, stems. You know, he's... He, he is in this world uh, akin to a rock star in some ways. It's the rock star outfit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's true. But at the same time, when he was facing the final battle and realized what they were up against, he did apologize to his sister saying, you were right. This isn't like anything we've seen before. That's true. That's true. He did find some humility in the face of, you know, and that's, and that's, doom. and that's part of why I feel like his arrogance is earned because it's from years of experience doing this. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's also willing to say, okay, so this is not part of my experience. So I made the wrong call. <laughs> and we're going to die here. <laughs> it also kind of brings up that good captains, good generals on the battlefield do not always necessarily make good, um, politicians and leaders of areas and and cities and countries so i think we see that a little bit with algomar where if it's a battle and and the battle is the situation he knows right what to do and how to handle it but when it comes to diplomacy when it comes to feeding the the troops the the families of his uh country doing all the things that the government has to handle as the king or the leader of the country kind of falls short in those areas. Yeah. Good point. Um, so, Agamar, what do we think of his, his leadership style? My way or the highway? <laughs> He's blunt. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would venture to say that one does not become a great captain without being very blunt. Probably true. No. But it also means he kind of rushes into everything. I think that he attacks every problem with a expediency and without a whole lot of planning. It, you rely on your instincts as that kind of leader, as opposed to sitting back and figuring out what's going on before you make that decision. I couldn't point to any one thing that gives me this impression, but I definitely got a feel that his troops are very loyal to him mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. possibly because he is good at the battle and he is right on the front lines with them 
I got a real sense of yeah. Um, He's earned their respect. You know, yeah, exactly. Victory has a way of uh, building that kind of rapport with with people, right? That's true. That's true. You don't get uh, trusted if you lose a lot. Yeah, and but similarly, if you win a lot, even if you, yeah, and the thing is, is even if you if you win a lot just because you get lucky, you'll end up getting a lot of the respect for being good, even if you're actually not just really fucking lucky. But it, but at the same time, it seems to be an earned respect because they. I mean, his sister said, you know, don't go mm. to the wall because you're going to lose. And he's like, I know that's why I have to be there. So, yeah, you know, your, your, your troops are going to have a certain amount of loyalty towards a leader who's like going to be in the front lines of battle with them. Um, I, I would suggest, though, that that could describe Custer as well <laughs> like uh, he had a lot of success <laughs> a lot of his troops went to the front line absolutely fucking incompetent but a lifetime of being lucky right. up until he wasn't so <laughs> well catching catching a spear in the face isn't very lucky for Agumar either so yeah yeah, yeah getting a, a trollic spear through you that that's uh. I, I can't call imagine that. that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody came back from that particular battle. Yeah. Um. So. So we don't think Agomar is going to be returning. Is is what I'm hearing. I suspect oh, not. Right. Now, to be fair, we, did we see a body? Um. Well, we, we, we did see a spear go right through his face. So. I, I we didn't see I a dead body. That, that would probably count as a body. I, I, <laughs> I believe it was through his torso. Um, okay. We did see him get pinned to the wall by a spear and kind of slump down, which generally indicates dead. But you know, who knows? <laughs> probably you dead, but you know, not one hundred percent. Not yeah. not not guaranteed. Yeah. I can tell you that I think that most likely he probably is dead. Um, yeah. He is not I'm, dead at I'm this point in the books, but again. I think that they, they just killed him off early. Yeah. So. We all thought Lady all right, Stark we'll was call dead it a draw. in the books, yeah. too, and she didn't die, yeah. so. Um, so I guess there's no point in asking you about what you think uh, the future holds for Egomar. Um <laughs> Uh, he will burial. be reborn <laughs> as the wheel <laughs> turn. turns. Yeah, a, sh a shallow stage. grave if he's lucky. <laughs> um, well, as as we've already seen, uh, shallow graves seem to be the norm in, in this world. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Very well-fed bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very well-fed and, and, trollocs. Yeah, I was going to say, this close to the blight, very well-fed trollocs for sure. True, true. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I guess, uh, that really kind of covers, covers Agomar. We didn't get to interact with him a whole lot in the show, but enough to, that you guys clued in immediately to what his character is and, and the base of that character. So I think they got enough of him in there. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Yeah. R.I.P. that jacket. Yeah. So moving on from Agomar, uh, we've got, uh, Amelisa, his sister played by Sandra Yee Sensendiver. Um, and if I said that incorrectly, I am so sorry. It's a name that I, I've never experienced that name before. I believe it's, it's, uh, Danish. Yes. Uh, she, she is American, Danish and Korean by, by descent, uh, known for a lot of Danish TV. Um, and she is also the theater, theater director for Dansk Dansk, which works with, uh, works for, towards more diversity in the arts. So, 
Cool. Sounds like somebody that's right up our alley right there. Mm-hmm. Dance Cadence sounds like a uh, a great like EDM track. Dance Cadence, yeah. Cadence, Cadence, Cadence. I, it, it sounds like a, a great club I went to in, in Berlin once. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> she is playing uh, the Lady Amalisa Jagad, who is uh, the Lady of Faldara, uh, sister to Agamar, and obviously the niece of King Asar of Shinar. Um, in the books, she is described as short and middle-aged with a dark, mature beauty, which I think she she embodied fairly well. Nope. Yeah. Was she that short? I didn't read her as short. Um, uh, to me, everyone is short. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was shorter than Moraine, and Moraine's not yeah. towering. According to IMDb, she's five foot seven and three quarters. So. That's super short. So average, average height. So, so average height for a woman. Yeah, but seven and three quarters, they really. <laughs> <laughs> those, those three quarters are important. When you're five right. Seven. <laughs> they they really probably looks... were converting from centimeters or something. In, in... 1.72 meters. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. I love IMDb. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, Amalisa, what do we think about her, her character? What do we know about her? She trained to be an Aes Sedai, didn't quite make the cut. Right. So she's, she's got some white tower, tower training. She can channel. Yes. Uh, Enough to light a candle. Right. <laughs> or light herself up if she's channeling the right person. Well, yeah. <laughs> we find that out later. So she's she's got ability, but not necessarily full control or, or full um, full capability to possibly her uh, her potential. I don't know. Yeah, I'd I'd say she has a little bit of her brother's arrogance, um, mm-hmm. enough to go behind his back and ask for someone to come from the White Tower because she thinks she knows better than he does. Uh, do we think that's because she thinks she knows better or because once the white tower has its hooks in you, it doesn't let go very easily. A bit from column A, a bit from column B. Right. Uh, could be that she's paying more attention to Intel and what's coming in is less arrogant. She's looking more of, you know, the, the, the situation and realizing that things are not looking good up there. And knows that her brother is going to poo-poo her because her brother is Captain Entitlement. So what I've heard from everybody so far is less arrogance, but I haven't heard anybody say no arrogance. Oh, no, no, no. She definitely has some. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they very clearly mark out kind of like ruling class people as being ruling class people. Yeah. You know. They they, they have a sense of, of... I should be the one in charge because, of course, I should be the one in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'm, that I, I'm used to being class. in charge. Therefore, and this is this is natural, right, and proper in the way the universe is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think that show that comes across in pretty much every character in that who has that background, that kind of station. Yeah, I could see that. You know, like you see that in Moraine, you see that with already everyone in the White Tower. You know, and anyone that has a position of power in the white town, they're used to being, they're used to people doing what, what they're told. 
Yeah, very much and, so. And used to being right and smart and smarter than most people around them. Yeah, the people from the White Tower generally, yeah, they, they think they know more than everyone around them and they are used to being right. Yep. Even if they're wrong, everybody around them will agree with them that they're right yep. because you, you don't want to counteract, counterman the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Do you want to argue with somebody yeah. who can call down lightning and zap the fuck out of you? Exactly. Yep. Um, and I think, wasn't there some implication that most people in the White Tower come from noble backgrounds? Or a lot do? Um, it, it, it's not that most of them come from noble backgrounds. It's that people from noble backgrounds will often be sent to the tower for training right. whether or not they can channel okay which means that anyone who's in the white tower is used to having ruling class people looking up to them which will reinforce that whole sense of entitlement and power and hierarchy yes right yeah even if that wasn't an intention it's going to that's going to become part of the culture um, Ooh, which might yeah, just an, an example I can give you guys of that is um, in Andor, which is where our 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 main characters are from. Um, the royal family of Andor has kind of a tradition with the White Tower that the um, the the next in line, the crown princess of of Andor, always is sent to the tower for tower training, whether or not they can channel. And the uh, first son of Andor, who is generally the the uh, person in charge of the armies, is sent to the tower for warder training. And that is just a, a tradition and an agreement that has gone down for centuries. So, so you know, nobles being trained in the White Tower is just a, a thing that happens because rich people get what they want. Which also benefits the White, the Aes Sedai, because it means that they get their hooks into the ruling class. Like exactly. they're a finishing school, yeah. they're connected, they're in, it's intertwined. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I get the sense that Amelisa is kind of more aware of what's going around in the city and the country in general. And perhaps that's because she's kind of been outside and not focused on just keeping the blight at bay. But it seemed like when when it was time to battle, she was the one that figured out what to do with the rest of the citizens, what to do with the city, how to fortify the city, all of the things that are more broad in nature than just the immediate threat from the blight. Light all the lanterns so that the fade can't hide in the shadows here. Yeah. 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 And, and that... That uh, scene in in the show that was a great shout out to the to the book readers because there is a, a as we've said before Jordan loves his descriptions and there was a very long description of exactly why they light the torches every night in Faldara and how they make sure that there are no shadow shadows for the the shadow men to come in so mm -hmm. that was a wonderful wonderful little two second shout out to those book readers nice. I think that also, uh, I mean, like, so that there's also that, that also like speaks to a division of responsibility between the two leaders of the kingdom, right? Like you've like the king is the war leader faces the outside, the queen, cause he doesn't, he doesn't appear to have a, a wife, right? Um, who 
in the books, I believe he does have a wife, but I don't think they they introduced her in the show. So, right. So um, she's filling the role of essentially the queen. So she she's dealing with the ins- with the household, like the inside, which is um, a very common like pre feudal division within a lot of cultures, like definitely within Celtic um and germanic cultures like you right yeah the, the king's away at war so the queen is in charge of defending the mm-hmm. home yeah yeah and i mean also like literally like the the king is the war leader his job is to be outside the queen is the defender of the hearth and the home like not not just because he's away but because you need you don't want to have one person doing everything that's too much that's too much work for one yeah, very much. Well, so. It's an easy way to do battle. Yeah. Someone's got to right. be able to train the next one. Mm-hmm. And if you're out in battle, well, somebody's going to be watching the home front. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, what do we think about Amalisa and and the fact that she does do that? She does take care of the home front. She do we think that she is? I don't know. Um, what what am I looking for here? Is she resentful of of Agamar, or is she just kind of rolling her eyes and like, yeah, no, I'll take care of this because you're never going to remember to do it, kind of thing? I think that's got a part of it. She's <laughs> uh, <laughs> she, she uh, knows what to do on that front. She doesn't necessarily know what to do on the battlefront, so it's kind of a division of labor, but. Oh, there's eye rolling going on though. It's like, yeah. oh, my brother, <laughs> you know. But I think that's just sibling stuff. Oh, we see her immediately take their father's armor, the family heirloom armor, and put that on when Agomar decides that his own armor is good enough. And I think that was a moment of showing that she's wanted to have that authority position this whole time and kind of resents Agomar for it. I don't know if it's a resentment as much as a, uh, this is my time to shine kind of thing. I, th- I think she definitely has a bit of eye rolling, like, um, in, in the scene with her and Moraine talking about what had happened in the throne room, it came across to me as both of them are. Yeah. So there's captain entitlement back there who doesn't listen to anybody else, not even, yeah. Not even his sister, who is clearly smart and educated and knows shit. You know, he doesn't listen to the visiting. I so like, so yeah, I think uh, it, it it had a that discussion had a feeling of this is the actual interplay between equals happening. This this is the this is the actual discussion that fruit is going to bear from. Yeah, yeah. This, you know, that other discussion was for show. Yeah. For, now for, it's time for the adults yeah. to talk. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, so yeah, I think she has some resentment towards him for not, like, I think she she is resentful towards him for not giving her her due. But at the same time, she has, like, it's not that she thinks that he's an idiot or that she doesn't respect him. It's just that she thinks he's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) He's not an idiot. He knows his job, but he's wrong. (laughs) Yes, exactly. He's too into, you know, he he said he's too entitled. He's got too much privilege for his own good. He's let that go to his head. He, he's become a rock star. 
Being good at stabbing Trollocs does not necessarily equate to being good at governing people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't win a... Like, um, wars are won through logistics. Yeah. And he doesn't... He is, he is, he's a battlefield commander. And, and she's the, the person in charge of logistics back at home. Yes, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you're thinking about this. Yeah. Um, they, work on, they work on separate levels. You know, it's one thing to... You know, the, the logistics of the Pentagon are much different than the logistics of, say, UPS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely see their relationship as one of equals, and they're both working towards the same goal, even though they don't necessarily agree with each other as to strategy. It, it was when the they first arrived, when Moraine and company first arrived in the throne room, um, Agamar's attitude was just kind of this, like... <sighs> I told her not to send for you, and yet <laughs> here you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it wasn't that, like, you know, I, I don't feel that she exceeded her authority necessarily by asking for help from the White, Thor- White Tower. It's just that they had disagreed on whether or not it was necessary. Whether it was necessary. Yeah. 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 And they're both stubborn <laughs> and... and <laughs> I wonder if she has some level of uh, infor- inferiority complex uh, because of the rejection at the White Tower. And this is kind of, especially that uh, scene with her and Moraine was kind of her trying to boost herself yeah, it, up it, it, and say, I'm I'm cool. It, it, it felt almost awkward how much she was kind of like, hey, look what I can do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. and then, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? Also leading to the, the scene where she burns herself out, like taking more and more um, of the one power that she couldn't control or have before could stem from that if she does have an inferiority complex from being rejected from the White Tower. Yeah. No. I can handle it. I can handle it. Uh, so addressing that scene, what do we think did take place there? What, what, what led to her burning out? What was it? Was it greed? Was it her own hubris? Was it the addictive nature? Was it something that was just completely beyond her control at that point? What, what do we think happened? Seems like all of the above. Mm-hmm. There, there was that addictive thing. You know, more, more. I can, I can take it. I can take it. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's a little bit of uh, overconfidence. There was a little bit of addiction to the, you know, I can feel everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, some, some would call it an A, some would call it B there. You know, yeah. she's. And then she, once she, she realized she that it. she couldn't handle it anymore, it was too late. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, going up to the top of a really tall sledding hill and you start your way down and you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then about halfway down, you realize you're going a lot faster than you had intended to. And by the time you get to the bottom, you're just like, I'm eating snow no matter what happens here. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Or tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or rocks. Yeah, exactly. I think there's also a degree um, of like desperation. Like this is, she, you know, everyone's going to die if I don't keep going because, oh my God, unimaginable horde. So what choice is there? Right. If, I, if I stop, we'll die. If I keep going, I'm probably going to die, but maybe everyone else won't. You know, maybe I can do enough to save the day. 
Yeah. I wonder if that was more Nynaeve on that level, pushing it towards her, because Nynaeve knew that that was the situation. And there's another thing, too. She may not have realized quite how much power she was getting, she was get, going to be exposed to when Nynaeve yeah, joins right. in. You know, I... I, I... I really think that that was the case. Um, you know, she, she said anybody who can channel meet me at, you know, meet me out by the flagpole after school. And she's expecting, you know, I went to the tower and I was rejected and I can light a candle. Anybody else around here who could channel is probably going to be even less than that. At least I'm tower trained. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Nynaeve and Egwene show up and she's like, oh, Moraine's too. I should have expected that Moraine was out finding. But if she just found you and you're going to the tower to be accepted, I still know more than you. Yeah. There's right. no way you're more powerful than me. So then when they open up and all of a sudden, you know, she thinks she's drinking from the water fountain. And in fact, she's drinking from the fire hose. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and really just, you know, not so which means, that, you know, this isn't a case that she exploded because of anything that she could. She couldn't have done anything differently based on the information she had. She just yeah. she got right. fucked because Nynaeve didn't say, you know what? I am the most powerful channeler the world has ever seen. Um, so maybe you shouldn't. I shouldn't include, you know, Nynaeve should not have added herself to that. She should have known better because she knew how fucking powerful she was. You saying we need to get her a business card, Axel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if we can point out at this point, Nynaeve has not had any sort of formal training whatsoever. She doesn't know what's involved in linking together. She doesn't know that, that her power could burn somebody else out in that situation. Frankly, none of the book readers did either because that wasn't a thing that right. was possible before. But, you know, I'm okay with it because so how lo- surprises are fun. How, yeah. long a to- how long was the time between um, the big fight in the forest and their arrival at the White Tower? Uh, a few days, I would think. I think that was before the one month period. Yeah, yeah, that it, it would have been at least a month on the road. So they had a month on the road where where there were half a dozen like more than half a dozen Aes Sedai and Nynaeve who could ha- so she could t- she should that if they didn't explain to her what the <laughs> fuck happened and how this shit worked and she saw group activity because they'd done that right. So yeah. if Nynaeve wasn't taught, then that is a massive failure by. All of the Aes Sedai there, uh, I, I, and if they I did explain you, it to Nynaeve, would be correct, failure yeah. by Nynaeve. Either way, there is definitely a failure there because there was plenty of time for teaching. So they need to get her business cards and a "Hello, my name is" tag. <laughs> you know, like you could do your intro. You know, like there's your first course in how to be a fucking channeler. Um. I can see where you're coming from, and I I think you're correct. There should have been some training on the road, but I would also say that Aes Sedai, as a rule, tend to be kind of stuck up and kind of in their own little world. And if they see that that she's headed to the tower anyway, they're like, okay, she's going to be a novice. We'll just let the novice, the mistress of novices, take care of her. We don't need to bother with that because we've got way more important things to yeah, which think about yeah, which yeah. is entirely. Um, that's entirely credible. So that means that Moraine is, it's Moraine's fault that she died. Moraine well, specifically. She was yeah. Moraine is the one she was, yeah. Cause Moraine was there. At, like she's the one that knows more about Nynaeve than anybody else and had more time with Nynaeve than anybody else. And do you think, um, 
Nynaeve would accept training from Moraine, given their relationship. Moraine wouldn't necessarily have had to train her, but Moraine could have gone to one of the other Aes Sedai there. Oh, talk to Lan, right? Lan could likely have convinced Nynaeve to get to, to have listened. You know, well, the, and, and Moraine is supposed to be master clever manipulator. Right. Point, if she though, couldn't actually. do that, then she wasn't doing then she's not doing her job and she shit at her job. So, yeah, this is why I think Moraine, <laughs> it is Moraine's fault. <laughs> so just to wrap all of that up with a tiny little bow, mm -hmm. it is Moraine's fault that Amalisa burned herself out by connecting to Nynaeve. Yes. Sure. Why not? OK. Yeah. OK. Okay, as long as we've gotten to the bottom of who is at fault yep. there. I, I feel that. <laughs> okay. that was the important part of this conversation after all. Yep. Yep. Uh, all about so, assigning blame. I, well, the thing so is, I think that what that speaks to is, um, it's not about <laughs> the assigning blame, but it speaks to the hubris, right? Which I think is, yep. a, I think yep. hubris is a major theme in this story. Yeah, yeah, very right? much so. And so this is so if we look for cases where we can see instances of hubris that's like it's showing us how the theme is being played out in ways that are not necessarily obvious. Yeah. Uh well, I would say um and I I'm pretty sure most of the book readers would agree with me that a major sub-theme of the series is without communication shit goes sideways. Yep. Right. So uh, yeah. Yeah. My point. My, yeah. 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 If, if you don't communicate with your friends, then don't, don't be surprised when things go pear shaped. Yep. Yep. And here, this is an example of it that I said it, I think it's a really good one because it is not at all obvious. Yeah. Like I certainly hadn't thought of it this way until we had this conversation. Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, that's true. And it's got me thinking, you know, going back to, uh, you know, to, how things tie into the author's life. I mean, some of the things that he experienced in Vietnam with the, the battle uh, leadership, uh, you know, having a disconnect from, from reality, uh, you know, caused a lot of the issues there with the, with the American military. And then at the same time going on at home, you know, you've got people in the, you know, people in the government, uh, you know, you got your, your Nixons and your, uh, your Johnsons out there. So there's major disconnect there too. So that whole breakdown of communication based on the, the arrogance of, uh, you know, I am the leader. So I say, so I'm sure that was something that, that he just saw mm -hmm. and he just really experienced in every aspect of his life uh and you know the life of any american at that time so i, I can definitely I, I can definitely see some parallels there i have to say i feel like in the last i don't know 10 15 minutes you guys just went from like 101 level wheel of time theorists theorists uh like straight into post-grad level discussion <laughs> like that that was amazing to watch and, and i love professor it. professor axel with the ted talk again yeah. yes <laughs> actually yeah that, um, but the, the to return to amelisa <laughs> <laughs> where we were 
were we? Uh, does anybody have anything else to say about Amelisa? Um, I don't think we we need to discuss what we think her future is because I'm pretty sure everybody's. Yeah. The... Yeah. She will return and yeah. <laughs> being reborn as the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing. I think. Like, how do people in the world know that reincarnation is a real thing? I don't know. How does any religion know that it's the correct religion? Mm -hmm. They all just know, don't they? The thing is, though, so it's presented within the text as more of a like a knowable thing that the thing is, is once you get magic involved right mm -hmm. um then you're talking about the laws of the laws of physics the laws of the universe are substantially different so like is there anything that speaks to a soul is a thing that can be uh well yeah like we see um the uh the, the the madness right the the madness yeah. of the magician like we're seeing things like is this supposed to be are these are and magic is a visible thing right yeah. so yeah like like, like logan there was was claiming that he was seeing all of his previous lives mm -hmm. talking to him yeah it's stuff like that so so is that evidence or is that just the madness itself right is there anything in the in the text that says re reincarnation is for real in this universe, or is it something that is entirely everyone believes it, but we're never shown proof? Um, I don't know how to answer that question really. Um, I would say it's it is much like any other any religion that we have in in our current time, which is you know, what's your proof? Well, none of them. Are gonna they're, they're all gonna go to some kind of circular proof in the end you know yeah well this book says it's true well well what says that book is true well god says the book is true well what says god is true well the book says god is true you know so it mm -hmm. you know eventually it's going to come back to a circular logic like that um so it isn't true <laughs> which is kind I'm, of like where i, 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 I don't, don't, don't it's not provable it's not true. yes it's I'm not saying provable. It's, not it's not provable, provable. yeah yeah the thing is, is that in a lot of like so fantasy. Here's, here's a related question: um, Does anyone outside of the madness ever remember former incarnations? Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, this is a thing that gets explored. Like you know, I mean, in in a lot of fantasy settings, if there are gods. They show up and say, hi, I'm a god. Here's an afterlife. Here's a resurrection. Like, you know, like, um, souls are provable things that, that exist within the fiction. And therefore, within that text, you can go, okay, yeah, so we know that souls exist and resurrection happens. You know, and reincarnation happens yeah. because the magic supports it kind of a thing. Right? I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm also thinking that I'm planning a... a um religion themed episode right. in the future that i think that this conversation can probably cool. be sidebarred until we get and there that's how, how that's that okay yeah yeah yeah, oh. yeah. as much as anything it's kind of like if we're going to address it in more detail at some point i was just yeah, yeah yeah we will absolutely be addressing that in more deal more detail at some point um 
but uh, yeah, back to Emily's. Yes. <laughs> where we were. Um, I, I think we've probably uh, covered most of what we wanted to talk about with mm-hmm. Annalisa. Um, so you could say we burned her out. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh. Hi, I'm Dr. Pengalod. What seems to be ailing you today? Doc, it's the strangest thing. Every night after I've gone to bed, just as I start to drift off, I start yelling out strange words like Shire, Frodo, and Gollum. Last night I even yelled Mordor. I really don't know what to do. Ah, yes. I've been seeing this a lot lately. What you're experiencing is called Tolkien in your sleep. It's caused by an acute Lord of the Rings deficiency. Tolkien in my sleep? Oh no, that sounds serious. Don't worry, don't worry. It's really common right now. It can be treated with a very simple prescription. Here, take this. It's called Watch Party Lord of the Rings. Watch Party Lord of the Rings? It's a great podcast where they talk about everything related to Lord of the Rings. They go deep into the lore, talk about the film trilogy, old cartoon adaptations, and Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Listen to it once a week and you'll stop Tolkien in your sleep in no time. Side effects of Watch Party Lord of the Rings may include happiness, giggling, merrymaking, jollification, witty banter, inner peace, enlightenment, and excessive Tolkien while awake. Caution, Watch Party Lord of the Rings may be addictive. And uh, moving on to another one of our Shinarans. Uh, this is, uh, I think, our favorite Shinaran, Uno. 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 Uno Nomesta is being played by Guy Roberts. Uh, he's American-born, I believe, from the Houston area. Uh, living in Prague now, um, and he is known for roles on Hannah and on Wheel of Time, both on Amazon Prime. Um, and he is the founder and the artistic director of the Prague Shakespeare Company. Um, and he has a, a list of of Shakespearean and stage acting awards, like longer than I I care to try to read off because the, 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 he's gotten a lot of stage awards. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the character he's playing is Uno Nomesta, who is a sergeant major from the from Shinar. He's a sergeant major in the cavalry. Ca- ca- cavalry. Cavalry. Ca- ca- uh, cavalry. Thank you. Cavalry is is religious. Yes. Cavalry yes. is yes. is horses. Yes. Okay. There Suburb we go. Suburb of Golgotha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it was Axel with their. Uh, um, Religious sidebar got me got me thinking in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, so in the books, Uno is described as a grizzled old veteran with numerous injuries, including a missing eye. He also is consistently cursing and finds it extremely difficult not to do it for even a few sentences. Which is why we fucking love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wears an eye patch with a painted fiery red eye um, to cover the, the missing eye. Um, and his head is shaven except for a top knot. He has slightly bowed legs and a long scar down the left side of his face. He is hard-featured even for a Shinaran and would stare anyone directly in the eye. If he were to come in contact with Swan Sanche, he would look her dead in the eye. I need this scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, what do we think of Uno. Perfectly cast. Perfectly <laughs> cast. Oh, yeah. But I think they uh, lightened the age a bit, but I don't mind. I know you were saying in the book that he's he is tall and uh, the actor isn't particularly, but I just, he's got this physical presence. I think he just absolutely the way he carries himself, he does it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thousand percent. Yeah. The, the first time he walked on screen, I was just like, well, yep, that's Uno. 
Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you, 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 he walked in with, with uh, an assurity of purpose that, that only somebody like Uno would have. Very focused the entire time, too. There's always something being focused on. Even, yeah. even if the other actors are talking, you can tell Uno's like super focused on whatever is going on or whatever needs to be focused yeah. on. He he he's the guy who's taking part in the planning, but also like checking the windows and checking the exits <laughs> yep. and making yeah. sure, you know, like where could they hide a bomb? And that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Keep, keeping one eye open, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> um. So, so Uno, uh, would you follow him into battle? Oh hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would you prefer to follow into battle, Uno or uh, Lord Eglamar? Uno. I'll take Uno. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take Uno also. Uno's about survival. Eglamar's right. about winning. Yes. Which There's are a big two. Difference. Yeah. Those are mutually exclusive things. Not mutually exclusive. Like <laughs> the best not mutually way, exclusive. The yeah, best yeah, way well. to win is by not dying for longer than your opponents. <laughs> That's true. That's right. <laughs> okay, so they're not mutually exclusive, but they are not mutually inclusive. The flow yes. goes Correct. one direction, not the other way. Yeah. Right. There, there is. Yeah. There, there is a long tradition of leaders. Vainglorious, I think, is the term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yes. Or, you, you. If you. If you survive. You're not necessarily going to win, yep. but in order yeah. to win, you have to survive. Yep. And another comparison is um, in, at least in, in, in the British military, um, the non-commissioned officers are the ones that have been around for a really long time, whereas field officers are generally young, learning their stuff until they be, move up to become command and staff officers and generals and move away from the fighting. So that means that your senior non-coms, like your sergeant majors, they're the ones that have been in the fights and survived them and know what an individual soldier needs to do. Right? Your general is thinking about battalions and squadrons and large units, and the individual is not important to him. It can't be important to him. Right? Because you know you need to have a certain... Like you know, you, got, you, you know, like there are a thousand men over there that need to be taken out. You're going to lose a couple of hundred doing it. If you only lose 200, then that's okay. Whereas a sergeant major wants to get out of there alive, and the more of his command that remain alive at the end of it, the happier he'll be. Right? So I would much... He's the guy I'm going to trust to keep me alive. Works for me. Makes sense. Okay, so um, who's going to win in a fight? Uno or Lan? Ooh. Ooh. Are they fighting each other? Uno would run away. Let, 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 let's say they're <laughs> they're fighting each other with practice swords. Ooh. Okay, okay, because <laughs> I, I I can't uh, I can't quite come up with a situation yeah, where they they're would sparring. Be. They're sparring. Who's who's going to okay. land the first point? Who's, okay. who's going to win? The first point will be from Lan. Lan will get the first. No, point. I think Uno would likely get the first point. Lan would let him. I would expect Lan to beat him hands down. Because Lan's focus is on, indi- like, he's a defender. He's on individual combat. Right. right? Uno, again, he's a, like, he is a, f- he's got to look around at troops. He's going to be, uh, you know, he's not one-on-one fighting. If he's good at one-on-one fighting, he wouldn't be in his job. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, a, a fencer versus a uh, middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know, there's different, 
<laughs> there, there are different things that they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, Uno probably has a little more reliance on his on his uh, troop mates. So, uh, yeah. Uno's your quarterback. Anglemar's your coach. And Lan is like star running back or like, you know, whatever role in football. Wide receiver. Or yeah. I, I, the, the, I don't know, third base, maybe. Center forward. <laughs> Center forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Goalkeeper. I, I don't. I, you, you lost goalkeeper. Goalkeeper metaphors. is actually the right one because his job is to defend. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. So you said practice so, so where the linebacker comes in, basically the quarterback of the defense. So we, we've not asked the question, does uh, Uno have a duck on his sword? Because if not, I think Land's going to win. I don't think he has a sword. I think he's got like a bludgeon. You know, he's got a shillelagh <laughs> or something. He's he's ready to. Uh... Well, we know that we know that he's cavalry. So we know that he fights with with lances, at least. Mm -hmm. so, um, and, and and if he's cavalry, he's going to be as well. Yeah, he's going to be using something that he can use from horseback. Sword, so. axe, club, like mace, some yeah, yeah. bow and arrow. Things, things along those lines. Polo. So in a fight with yeah. practice swords, Lan would definitely win then. Yeah. Master yeah. Swordsman's gonna yeah. kick his ever loving ass. <laughs> yeah. And and actually that, that's another thing. Like if you put the two of them on horseback, on the other hand, it could well win because that's his, you know, like that's his his combat style. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I I just always love throwing those those <laughs> who would win comic book style hypotheticals just just to see oh, where yeah. the reasoning leads because <laughs> the reasoning can sometimes get very spurious and, and hilarious. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. Um, so do we have any more uh, any more thoughts about Uno? Um, I know we didn't get to see him a whole lot this season, but I mean, you know, he was only in what three scenes, and in those scenes, he he stood out. Very much stood out. So very much so. He's he's a fan favorite for a reason. Is he likely to be returning in this life, or have we seen <laughs> the end of him too? I'm hoping so because he was such a good character. Oh yeah. Um, or Uno. I'll, I'll spoil that one for you. Yes, Uno will be returning. He's he's been confirmed in the second season. Fantastic! Yay! Because while everything was going on with the Trolloc battle, he was in the throne room with. Patton Fane and uh, Ooh. and, and, uh, and loyal and loyal and Aaron. Aaron. Yeah, yeah. So now but, I want to see that flashback of Uno's perspective of that situation in that battle with with Patton Fane coming in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure when Patton Fane came around, he was like, "Okay, survive." Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can see, I can picture him like figuring out what's going on and then going to head off the rest of the Trollocs at the entrance to the castle or something like that to protect the overall <laughs> fortress or mm -hmm. like what's going on in the throne room is less important than the overall. I, I would say Uno would not do that. I think Uno understands that getting the Horn of Velir away from the shadow is the most important possible thing he could be doing at that moment. I'm not going to tell you why. Yeah, but well. <laughs> but seeing seeing the situation and seeing the situation and assessing the odds, he's determined that a full on frontal assault on these guys would not end mm -hmm. well yeah. for him. Uh, so sit back, see what's going on, make your move when the time is right. He went to go get his horse so he can just lob their heads off at the 
the door when the exit. <laughs> Hold on, I've got to run down to the stables. I'll be back with my horse to the throne room in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Just, just hold on. Just hold I'll be on. right Don't back. Go. So, so we've seen the effect that Mirdral have has on people. Mirdral just cause fear. You you cannot meet the eyes of Mirdral and and not be terrified to the to your very core. And we've seen people like Tom who that just doesn't seem to matter. Where do we think Uno lands on that? What, what do we think happened when those, those fades walked into the throne room? Well, we know he's going to feel the fear because like you said, he's going to look everybody in the eye. So he's going to look those mirror in the eye. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So to speak. Yeah. yeah. I think he, w- he's somebody who would be able to withstand that effect. Like, you know, it's not it's not gonna face him because he's he's been there, he's he's seen it, he's knows this shit. Yeah. You know, I, I kinda I kinda look at it as he may look him in the eye, but it's gonna be from a mirror. You know, he knows enough, he's wily enough that um he's not going to be seen by them. Interesting. I've yeah. I've I've never I don't think anywhere in the books anyone has used that idea to look a fade in the in the eye through a mirror. Well, I'm thinking Perseus and uh, yeah, yeah, and, and uh, Medusa, uh, Medusa, Medusa. Medusa. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. So there's, I think he's he's smart enough to know that okay, this one may not be completely winnable by me. So you know he's going to use his smarts. He's going to survive. You know you don't survive by you know always rushing into battle yeah you're going to assess the situation mm-hmm. he's he's smart enough to to take the time to you know see what's see size up the enemy see what's happening yeah you win by not dying for longer than your opponent exactly yeah. exactly and probably saw what the fades did to you know the other the other guys who were just kind of standing around uh you know being guards mm-hmm. and being sort of cannon fodder or, you know, trollic fodder. Would they have encountered fodder, case, uh, fades before, like, up there in the blight at the edge of the world? I, I would say yes. So, again, this is not going to be a new, what the fuck is this? This is, a, oh, it's them. Yeah. And what we have to do is this. And the problem with them is they scare the crap out of people who have presumably a sense of their own mortality. Or afraid of death. I w- like again, he would get. He, I see, as the point of. You can't. You, I have nothing left to be afraid of. I've had. I've done all my pants shitting. I've been through this so many fucking times. There is no. You know, like there, there is no fear left in me. It's been dr- burned out. It's like the first five fades I came across made me shit my pants. I don't feel like I need to shit my pants anymore because you know it, I did it back then and survived. So you know what? What are you going to do to me? Exactly. I have known fear. Yeah. So I guess I guess that brings up the question of the fear effect. Is it something that operates directly on your nervous system? So it's not something you can become immune to per se, but something you can get used to. Yeah, I, I, it's making me think of like uh, uh, Batman. You know, um, Doctor Jonathan Crane's fear toxin has no effect mm-hmm. on Bruce because Bruce is like, dude, you're trying to make me afraid. I, I dealt with all my fears years ago like 
I, I snort your fear toxin for breakfast. Like, come on, bring it. You <laughs> yeah. Know? So I was going to say, I always have this, um, something I always want to see in the superhero universe. There's always this, you know, psychic creature, like a, a lich or something that gives you this horrible sense of worthlessness to devastate his foes. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that's Tuesday. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's there's a bit of that in Age of Ultron with uh, with Black uh, no with uh, Scarlet Witch. So there 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 has been an analog to that, uh, you know that that sort of tapping into the despair. Yes, exactly. You kind of want to see it in the context of emo man. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying a mirror walks into a goth club and everybody's just like Meh. yeah exactly <laughs> have a drink is buddy. that guy using manic panic white like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like you know we've we've grown up with a con with a constant fear of nuclear armageddon hanging over our head <laughs> what can you add to 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 this exactly right with the current situation going on it's like you, you got all these kids that are you know or younger people that are freaking out and yeah. you know, we gen xers are just like yeah yeah man. Uh -huh. hey it's like oh, oh yeah this feels comfortable mm -hmm. i've been here before <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a panic I, I i know how to deal with all right so, yeah. so you're saying that uno has a uh quiet calm come over him when he stares into the mirror draw. Yeah. Like, oh, this is my happy place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would not be surprised in, in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, think of a, you know, like a paratrooper, you know, he's somebody that's got, you know, 17,000 jumps or something like that. You get your, you know, your people that are first timers standing at the edge of the, of the plane door, just going. Uh, and, and he's, he's just, just supermanning past him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or kicking him in the back to get yeah. him out, you know. Mm -hmm. Or he's the guy who walks up and like chucks the backpack out and then dives after it. Just to mess with him. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 character that that sort of reminds me of from other media is uh, the sergeant from uh, Aliens. The 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 guy who you know wakes everybody up after the. The ship gets to where they're going. He's got the cigar. He's got the yeah, cowboy hat. Yeah. You know, the first thing he does when he comes out of stasis is grab a cigar. You yeah. know, <laughs> that guy is, you know, he's, he's the dude. He's the, he's that, that character. Actually, that's another example that, that shows that kind of difference between officer and NCO, right? Because in the same token, you've got the lieutenant who has never been in combat before and sits in, right. in the arm APC and is his job is to tell people what to do. His his job is to relay instructions from command. Right? The sergeant and is he's the, the one the first who, one to shit his pants. Yeah, and the the sergeant is the one that operationalizes those instructions. It turns and this is the actual practical implications. Anyway. And yeah, I think with that, we've uh, about exhausted what we can talk about with Uno. Um, we're only an hour in, so I think we can throw in our last person that we met in Valdara, and that is Min. This episode is brought to you by 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some lovely art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and, of course, The Wheel of Time. 
You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. Uh, so Min, uh, Elmendreta Farshaw, is played by Kay Alexander. Um, she was in Krypton, in Fleabag, and in White Dragon. Um, Krypton is my, my, I would say, my, my favorite unappreciated DC show, um, mostly because it had the perfect depiction of Brainiac and they had Lobo. So, you know, you bring in my two of my three favorite DC characters, I'm going to love your show. Sorry. Um, so, so to me, that means that she's, she's from the cream of the crop, man. She was in Krypton. I love it. Also in Game of Thrones, I think she played Leaf, which was one of the uh, the children of the forest that helped protect the uh, the three eyed raven. Yes, yes. Um, in my world, uh, Krypton was still a, a bigger, bigger right. But deal. other people may may know. <laughs> but well, th- yeah. Well, I don't care about other people's worlds. This is all about my <laughs> world. <right now. laughs> That's narrow casting, dude. We're broadcasting. <laughs> we are broadcasting. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, these last few episodes, I've been getting punchy and I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, she's playing Elmendreta Farshaw, uh, originally from Berlin, uh, raised by her aunts at an inn. Um, and her description in the book, she's considered very attractive, described as uncommonly pretty, if short of beautiful. She is slender with short brown hair that curls about her neck and large dark eyes. Um, and she is known to, to in the books, she is described as, as wearing pants and, and jackets and things like that, uh, you know, in a very tomboyish kind of fashion because most women in this world wear skirts. But obviously they've kind of gone away with that a little bit because we've seen several Aes Sedai in, in what equate to pantsuits. So I think they're, they're kind of ignoring that little side of your character a little bit. Uh, so what do we think about men? The, the physical casting was excellent. Yes, this she does come across as little, like very petite and like the description is spot on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She'd stand out in a crowd. That's for sure. But weathered like could... she's carried the weight of the world on her back. It makes sense for her character. Uh, so what do we think uh, it was like to be men growing up pain in the ass probably not a lot of fun if you've got the ability to see people's futures yeah that 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 makes things like personal relationships difficult yeah Uh, probably freaks out a lot of your friends too Mm -hmm. when you don't necessarily know what's going on and you're like oh hey you're gonna skin your knee tomorrow and they're like what the hell and then they skin their knee tomorrow and they're like that witch you know? well, yeah, <laughs> even I don't. She probably didn't have a lot of friends until she learned how to uh, sort of moderate her her communications with people. Yeah. It, even when you're moderating, it's like some things you just can't keep your emotion back from. Like you're responding to something happening, and other people are going to be able to see it on your face. And if you don't tell them what you were responding to, then they're going to press because it's like, well, you, they just saw you responding to something weird and you're not saying anything about it. Yeah. You see how she recoils in the bar when she gets that mm-hmm. image of everyone yeah. dying. Yeah. That has to be horrifying to see that all the time. 
Well, I would say that you probably don't see everybody in your bar dying all the time because there aren't, you know, major attacks on Faldara keep happening all the time. You know. Right. She might occasionally probably. notice that one or two people are going to die, but I don't think, you know, her entire bar falling in dead in front of her is a, a common occurrence. Yeah, usually it's like, here's a regular, you're going to twist your ankle in a couple of days. You know, I probably wouldn't tell them, you know. Yeah. yeah luckily, she's not a precog where all she sees is death. Right. I still wouldn't want to play poker. <laughs> <laughs> so do we think Min forms close friendships with people? No, absolutely not. To protect, I think it's to protect herself. You know, she, she knows, you know, what's going to happen to people. And that's a, that's a burden. Well, plus it's hard to let people in on the secret because that, puts her even closer to being the the person that gets chased after that Moraine kind of threatens her with that mm -hmm. in the show. You know, you don't want to be found out because everyone will be after you and, and we know where you're at. So you kind of have to behave with me. So, you know, close relationships would be the same situation for her. There's that risk. Um, so what do we think that relation that she has with the tower is? The tower is well aware of her and whether or not, I think we had made, we had had a discussion about this when the episode came up, but is that a form of channeling? You know, uh, if, if the tower understands that it's not a form of channeling, but it is a great source of information, you know, they keep tabs on it. That's yeah. for sure. That's like, this is an asset. This is a, this is the ultimate, uh, you know, informer, you know, she's the huggy bear of the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the person wow, who knows dude. what's going on. Go, hey, going for the deep reference again. I love it. <laughs> getting into the Starsky and Hutch. Come yeah. on, get with it. <laughs> I get the sense. She's a little disgusted with the tower. And we talked yeah. about in the yeah. mental health episode that there's a good possibility that she's been used and abused by the Aes Sedai, that they kind mm -hmm. of used her up and realized that they can't keep her a secret. So they kind of the stuffed her out into the Shadowlands to be, be where they can find her, but not be found by everyone else. I, I got the sense that, that her, helping Moraine was very begrudging. Mm -hmm. It was like, I will do it because I have to, but not because I want to and not because we're friends. So my question is, do we think that the entire White Tower knows of her existence? I wouldn't have thought so. No. no I, that's, that, that's a blue. That, that's definitely the blue, Aja. So you think it, it, it's specifically the blues that have kind of sheltered her and, and put her in this place where where... Only they know that she is kind of. Well, their job is intelligence and she is a great form, mm -hmm. you know, a great, a great source of intelligence and information. So yeah, you protect your, you, you protect your, your, uh, assets. Your sources. You protect your, yeah, your assets. There you go. Even if she doesn't belong to the blue Aja, it's one of those things where I think she's the, the government tool that gets hidden from the rest of the, the country and the world because the government knows they need to have that tool and keep it a secret from everyone else. Yeah. yeah. You get the CI, the confidential informant. That's always part of the detective shows. You know, that's what Huggy Bear was in Starsky and Hutch. Yeah. He was the guy out on the street that kept his ear to the ground and on, on the sly would, you know, talk to the, 
talk to the detectives and let them know what was going on. You know, he was an important part of the intelligence gathering operation. I think though also like her relationship is not, is not just to be kept secret from non-Aes Sedai, but also from Aes Sedai that aren't blue, like that aren't blue eyes. Oh yeah. Aren't Moraine. Like, do we know that people who aren't Moraine know I, I believe Amalisa is? seems to be in on it because Moraine said something about going to see the seer or something to that effect. Right. And it would make sense that Amalisa would know because she lives there, right? And and her, that may that may be her relationship with Moraine is, you know, and Moraine, at, at the very least and possibly the, the, the Blue Usher is, she is there to protect the seer. Yeah, that yeah, makes like, sense. That's what she yeah, does. positioning but, this person here in your town, your job is to make sure that no harm comes to her and to use her for information when we need it. Mm -hmm. And her loyalty, that makes a lot the, of sense her loyalty to, me. to the mm -hmm. tower is being used to, uh, you know, to hammer that point home. Not necessarily the tower as a whole. I, I would think it would be a lot tighter than that. If if, if this were the case, what you guys are saying, um, why would they not just try to keep her at at the White Tower itself? That's why I don't think. That's why I think Blue Aja only, or a select group, possibly Moraine and yeah, I mean, Swan. Can you imagine if the Reds okay. got their hands on her? Right. Yeah. Like, let's march her in front of the the train the, and just okay. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. Right. There's your precog. That's your minority <laughs> report going on there. Or, yeah. Heaven forbid the white cloaks and the questioners get a yeah. hold of her. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Well, the question with that is, would they use her abilities or would they just kill her on the spot? Interesting point. I could see them using her abilities mm -hmm. and keep like keeping her in a cage. Mm. Right? She can't... She, her abilities are useful if to them. If they're not the source. And even if they are, like the white... It's only a subsect of, of the white cloaks that want to kill all Aes Sedai. Right? I would say any white cloak, given the opportunity, would attempt to kill an Aes Sedai. But we saw, like we saw when there was the big group, you have a thing that needs to be cured, and the only people that can do it by are the Aes Sedai, so you should go and find an yeah. Aes Sedai to cure you. Right? That's a pretty, that's an acceptance of we don't, I don't like they them, but, but there is a use. They have a, yeah. they have a use, so I'm going to let them live. And that was... Um, old guy yeah. versus um, our villain who is clearly all Aes Sedai must die, yeah. right? Like to me, it was kind of like this is Catholic Church and the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, yeah, very right. Much. Witches are bad. We murder witch. These guys do them witch murdering. These guys let them alone as long as they stay over there and don't bother us. And we know they're useful, and we'll send somebody over there. But keep that on the down. And once again, Axel gives us a preview of our upcoming <laughs> religion episode. <laughs> I still think it'd be easy for Valda to justify keeping her alive as a tool to weed out the rest of the the Ice Die, and be like, okay, I'm just going to kill her in the end, but this is going to get me to my goal a lot faster, so she gets to stay alive. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's smart enough to know to. He's yeah. smart enough to know how to use people. It would all depend on how dominant his fanaticism is versus his pragmatism. Right? Mm -hmm. Those are two competing balance, two competing things. And we don't, yeah. But anyway, Min, going back to Min. Moraine knows who she is. A, a le 
a couple of other people in the tower do, but a very small number. Most don't. And she is kept in this nice, safe, secluded place at the edge of the world with a trustworthy uh, ally to look over who gets to feel important because she's doing good work for important person at the tower. Like whether she, Amelie, whether she thinks of herself as serving the White Tower as a whole or Moraine specifically or Moraine and Swan or the Blue Aja, exactly what their relationship is. Well, we may or may not find out, right? But I think it's it's a narrow group. I believe that's true too. Yeah, yeah and, and I would guess Min found out early on that keeping her abilities a secret was to her benefit. Yeah, um, you know there are times when when we're doing this show where you guys say things, and I think, oh my god, what are you smoking? Or, wow, you could not be even further off base. And then there are other times when you start talking and I start thinking, are you sure you aren't cheating? Are you sure you aren't reading the books? Because, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you which just happened. Which but one of those is. just happened. One of those well, absolutely the, just happened. Yeah. The fact so that we've done, you know, 25 some odd shows and, you know, 50, 60 hours of talking about this, you know, eight hours worth of material um yeah you know, we're about to step we're about to step in something <laughs> yeah you know very much so <laughs> and and i'll tell you i'm i'm definitely smelling what you're stepping in so <laughs> um <Hell. laughs> so yeah uh min uh obviously a very awesome character so far lots of depth to be explored there i want to explore what she saw around the characters and and what you might think that that means. Um, so does anybody remember any of the things that she saw? She mentioned something well, about she, the lights flying around them. Yes. When she saw the five together. Yeah, she said that together. the five together, each of them have like sparks coming off of them. Well, and, four together. Well, well yeah, four together. together. Uh, each of them had sparks coming off of them, but there was also a shadow surrounding them and the sparks were going into the shadow and the shadow was eating the sparks and yeah. And thus she reinforced our Voltron <laughs> theory. Yep, yep. I wonder what would have happened if Matt were there. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do we think that was symbolizing? I mean, I, I think this is one's pretty obvious on the surface. Yeah, like each of them have some sort of ability, whether or not it's the source or... Uh... She, she's seeing there, what, what's the name of that? The, the term Tavarin? Fuck for yes, Tavarin. Yeah, she's saying that there are a bunch of Tavarin all in the same place, and a team of Tavarin, a Voltron of Tavarin, <laughs> if you will. To Voltron. Yep. <laughs> oh boy, you you guys are just not going to leave the Voltron thing alone, are you? No. Yeah, so 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 if the entire no. series ends and there's never a Voltron at any point in the series, are are you going to be full of disappointment? It's a metaphorical Voltron. No, because the Voltron lives in our hearts. The Voltron was the podcast we discovered along the way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay, um, so what I'm seeing in, that, <laughs> in 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 what she was seeing there is the lights coming off of them, the little sparks. That's that's you know, 
it, it, it is the light, you know, in this world, we have the light and the shadow and they are in, in opposition and they are surrounded by this shadow that is eating the light, but the light keeps feeding into the shadow. And it just, it tells me that these people are at the center of this, this cosmic conundrum of the light and the shadow constantly at opposition to each other. Sure. And on on an actual level, three out of yeah. four of them are confirmed channelers. So it yeah. could actually be the magic. It, it, would... it could be that's how you can tell somebody's a channeler is, is they have sparks in the dark. Yeah, and, and, and we don't okay. know about Perrin, but it's still, you know, a potential that he can channel at this point. Right. Or he's got he some... Has, he has some kind of magic. Yes, yeah, some sort of ability. Channeling. Right, like men. And herself, yeah. she's, you know, we're not sure if it's the source that is making it so that she can do what she does. You know, we don't know what exactly is, you know, making Perrin the, you know, the, the dog whisperer of the, uh, the werewolf, so to speak. Um, yeah, she game recognizes game. Let's call it that. All right. So if someone else saw men. Would they see the same sparks? If they could because she see. is a, a magic user. Magic in in quotes here, not 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 yeah, channeling, not, not channeling, yeah. but some kind of magical has... something. Yeah, I guess is the ability is seeing that a product of her particular ability, or is this some like who else can see sparks right. of magic? And would person? that make her a Tavirin just because she can use that? <laughs> possibly um i would say no and i i think that's because like you were mentoring earlier it's kind of a representation of yes they're magic users but they're also using their magic to entangle with the dark one and the dark side in the future so it's not that necessarily they see those sparks because they're a magic user it's a representation of them as magic users in this struggle. So you you think that the sparks indicate that they're a part of the battle, not necessarily just that they have magical abilities. Yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, potentially if Min was going to be a part of that battle in the future, and we don't know, then yes, they would see the same thing out of her if that's what the case is. Mm. I like that one. Yeah. I like that theory. That's good. So what other visions do we remember men having? She doesn't mention which is which because um, it's vague. She tells Moraine that one of them is seen with a gold ring, I believe. And the other one, oh, I can't remember what the other one was. She said, I see, I see above the girls a gold ring and a white flame. White flame, that's right. But it's not mentioned which is which. Or perhaps both is both. Yeah. Um, what, do we, what do we get out of that? What do we think a gold ring and a white flame might signify? I was thinking that meant that one of them was going to end up on the Amaron seat. It, that's mm -hmm. definitely what I got out of it as well. Interesting. What, how, how does it read that way to you? What, what in that says Emerlin's seat? 
something about the gold ring. Yeah. Because if um, Swan is is the only person in the Aes Sedai Tower who's dressed in gold, and I seem to remember when Moraine kisses her ring that she's got a gold stone in her ring. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what do we think the white flame signifies? Got me there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got a little bit of, you know, Nynaeve's, you know, uh, or Super Saiyan, uh, you know, explosion of, you know, when, when she wields the one power, it, you know, that's the fire hose. That's a big white, brighter than the sun. Any other thoughts in relation to, to either of these viewings? Yeah, she she doesn't really give direct answers. That sounds familiar. Looking know, at right? you, Wookie. What? 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 <laughs> what? Non-direct answers <laughs> with vague meaning. I'm, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. That that is traditional with prophets, right? And podcast hosts. And and I'm thinking it works from a you're not sure, and also if you don't, the clearer the answer, the more likely it is to come back and give you grief. Yeah. I, I could see that very much as a defense mechanism. Yeah, I could see her not wanting to give all the details because, you know, oh, you're you're going to suffer an accident sometime in the next week is a little bit vague. You know, in two days, you're going to take a, a brick to the face is is a lot. You know, it was a lot scarier to hear, you know. Yeah. More likely to lead to negative repercussions, people thinking that they can change. And, and I guess this is one of the questions, again, with, with her viewings, are they inevitable or are they possible, right? Like how locked down is her Min has never had a viewing that did not come to pass. And she says that yes. at one point, I think. Yeah. Everything she sees comes to pass eventually. It always happens. Um, the The explanation from in the books kind of is that she she sees she somehow sees the pattern just you know the pattern a little bit ahead of where they are in the loom as it were um so you know she is just looking forward and seeing that pattern and because that is already locked in place there's, which there's raised, nothing to be done right which raises interesting questions for the future episodes of religion around free will very much yeah. so yeah, yeah. Oh boy, well, viewers, what, you, what you listeners, you are getting spoiled by all of these uh, previews of our forthcoming religion episode. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, remind me to schedule that one for when Axel won't be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I, I really want to hear Axel's takes on that episode. Uh, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, back to Min. Uh, any, anything else about Min? There is a um, something she says to Moraine that the Amaron seat will be her downfall. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, that was interesting because she doesn't say swan. Mm -hmm. That's right. But do we think that that has already come to pass? Oh, that I hadn't thought of. Mm. She is, you know. She, has, she is exiled. Yeah, she is completely exiled the from seat. the tower. By the Amaryland Seed. Is, mm -hmm. is that Moraine's downfall? 
I remember when we were talking about the episode, I suggested that it might be that she will ascend to the Amelin seat and that will then it'll be her downfall in that way. Oh. Which I really like as a, a dramatic conceit. Yeah, and at that point though, that was in the past. That was not the future. The Amelin, you know, being exiled from the tower. She had already mm-hmm. been exiled from the tower by the time they had encountered each other. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So but, I, you know, not putting it to Swan, but, you know, the fact that she did see the gold in somebody, that there could possibly be an Amberlin, an Amberlin seat dweller upon, you know, within the, within the four, uh, could it be that person? Mm. You know, so, the person that will be in the Amberlin seat in the future could be her downfall, possibly before she gets into the seat even. That's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be that her exile will turn out to be her downfall because it means she's not able to be there when some really important political machinations happen. Or something and, happens to Swan, yeah. 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 You know, had she not been exiled, she would have been there. She could have done something differently. So, because from, I mean, from, um, from Min's perspective, like if she's just seeing the pattern... Is time necessarily all that important? Right? The weave is a constant. You know, you're fucked. The thing Just that fucks you in. has happened. She Min doesn't necessarily know that the thing has already happened. She just knows that this is the thing that fucks you. Right? So she's seeing the the outcome of of what it is, but the the thing that caused that outcome may have happened in the past, is what he was exactly. Saying. Yeah, ah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's that's a good way to look at it as well. Um, I I, I find it interesting that you guys are stuck on two theories now: uh, Voltron and and somebody is the Emerlin seat in disguise. <laughs> well, we're not sure of that. I mean, that that's something that you know David had brought up, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, David. Do, 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 Maybe we should put these together and have a Voltron Amerlin theory. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> one one of each color comes to become the the Amerlin seat. Well, clearly Bella is going to end up being the Amerlin seat. <laughs> <laughs> Vote Bella Amerlin seat. I, we we need go. to make the stickers now. Yeah. <laughs> Vote Bella. Couldn't do any Weiss. <laughs> we'll make millions. <laughs> okay. And yeah, uh, I think we're all getting pretty punchy at this point. Uh, we're, I, I think it's probably a good, good time to uh, just end this discussion and uh, end the episode. Uh, uh, we do have mailbag, 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 mailbag. mailbag. Uh, but I'm not going to read it. So, Ooh, um, no, <laughs> no it, it, it is, uh, from a, a, a dear friend of Samaria's who has also written in, in the past and, and the last letter Samaria was not on the episode. So I want to make sure to read it when Samaria is actually on an episode. So we'll be okay. saving that to tell maybe next week or the week after. Um, so, uh, with that, I guess we just, uh, throw out of this one and, uh, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen out at the secret watch party, watch party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. 
Thank you. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it's too early to say that uh, you can look forward to the new House of the Dragon podcast from Watch Party coming out soon, uh, just to wet your whistles a little bit there. Nice. And final question for our panel. I think I'm going to uh, make this one a little bit more gamey. Uh, yeah, it's gonna gonna have that venison flavor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I showered. It's not. <laughs> um. So the final question is going to be: You are in Faldara, as as the the Trolloc horde is descending. Where are you going to be? Is it going to be on the wall with Agelmar? Is it going to be defending the city with Amalisa? Is it going to be in the keep defending the horn with Uno? Or is it going to be fucking off out of town with Min? Ooh. And the rule, I'm going to call on you. And whoever, and, and you get to choose who you're with. But once that, that uh, person is chosen, that person's off the list. Dun, dun. So how do you decide who goes first? Are you going to roll a dice? Um, yeah, I'm going to randomly point at the screen, and that is Greg. Ah, well, um, my first instinct is to be with Uno because uh, I'm sticking to him like glue. He's going to survive. There's a way to, if there's a way out, he will figure it out. So uh, I'm with Uno. I got his six. Let's make it happen. So you're lying stabbed on the floor in the keep is what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm with Uno. I'm with Uno. Okay. He's surviving so, so, somehow. So you're, on, so you're on a smoke break with Uno while everybody else is getting stabbed in the keep. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, David, let's go with you next. Well, I'm not I said die, so that leaves that one out. I'm pretty non-confrontational. I'd probably be on the cart headed out of town with men. Probably a smart move. Probably a smart, yeah, move. Yeah. smarter move than me. Yeah, generally a smart move. Um, Siobhan, where are you? Um, I'm probably not skilled enough in a fight to be at the wall, so that means I'm with the Probably rest of the so. channelers, mm -hmm. at least. You know, even if I can't channel, at least I can be there to pick people up. Provide moral support. <laughs> yeah. Medic medical aid. I'll bring the burn ointment. If you gotta pick that one, you might as well claim the powers too. I, I was right. gonna say, if only they had somebody on the sidelines with a fire extinguisher when, when they <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you I'm, go. It's, I'm the fireman. Basic, <laughs> basic fire safety people. So yeah, you're 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 the fire watch. I like it. Okay. Uh, Axel, I guess that leaves uh, you on the wall with Egomar. What the hell are you doing there? Um, really wishing I wasn't, I think. Um, <laughs> um, I think, though, possibly from what I remember of that act, um, encouraging them to close the windows when... <laughs> 